When I was in high school, I got really into black and white photography. And the best photo I ever made was an image of my grandmother waving from the window of her Soviet bloc apartment in Slovakia. She had been living in that apartment for decades, and this was my first time visiting her. But she didn't speak English, and I didn't speak Slovak, so we could only communicate through prolonged eye contact and smiles. Her apartment was on a six-floor walk-up, and her knees were bad, so she couldn't leave the house. At the time that I visited her in high school, she hadn't left her one-bedroom apartment in 10 years. When I arrived, I was shocked by what I saw. Photos of my brother and me, her only grandchildren, were everywhere, covering the walls and on every table. It was like visiting a museum of ourselves in a stranger's apartment. As we left, she waved to us from the window for as long as she could see us. And that's when I pulled out my film camera and took a photo. I remember developing the photo in the dark room back at school. This image of her, alone in the apartment she hadn't left in a decade, made me feel guilty, but also terrified of such a future for myself. So I made a resolution, right then and there, that whatever happened in my life, I would not end up alone. From The Believer magazine, you're listening to Constellation Prize. Night Walking, Part 2. Day 2, just a touch of moon, a waxing crescent. The moon is less than 1% full. Dearest Bianca, today was cooler, only 102 degrees. When Terry's second letter arrived, I noticed it was 5 minutes and 31 seconds, slightly longer than her first. Returning to the comfort of dark desert nights, I walk alone. A time to think and not think, to wear my solitude as loose clothing. She told me about her quarantine life and the two occasions she had left her home. The first was to adopt a cat named Dale. They told us Dale was from a feral colony and was emotionally fragile. And the second was for her father's 87th birthday. Even though he said, why bother at this age? We went anyway. Her husband, Brooke, it turned out, was out camping on a mesa. I saw him yesterday afternoon with my binoculars, sitting at the very tip and ledge of the mesa. This constitutes his vacation. The mention of Brooke then brought her to the marriage questions that I had asked in my previous letter. We talked about when you were our age and you had been married for, I think, about nine years. We wondered about your marriage at that point and what it was like. Marriage, 45 years worth, and we still love each other. You ask what my marriage was like at your age. I believe you were 30. I was married at 19. Call me a child bride. I fell in love with Brooke, went on a night walk. He told me that what he loved most about the night sky 
was the space between the stars. That was it. We were married a month later. I loved Brooke's line and paused for a brief fantasy of a hinge date saying that to me. (laughs) What do I love most about this guy? Easy. Space between the stars. And then I continued the letter. I used that phrase last night in my letter to you. The space between the stars. That's what happens after 45 years of marriage. Layers of language, stories, bodies, where one ends and the other begins. One hardly knows. Earthly and celestial bodies fused together as one. When it came to marriage and celestial beings, she seemed to have a lot of faith. In fact, she had that sense of optimism about everything. I love that we've committed to night walking together, transforming our solitary meanderings beneath the night sky of stars into a shared epistolary. We hardly know each other, but I suspect by the full moon we will come to a deeper understanding of what moves us. I am moved by darkness. Oh, the weeping willow. Light shining through willow. Very nice water. Oh, wow. What a start. After the second walk, when it was time to respond to the letter, I still felt daunted. I realized that Matt could come with me on the walks, but when it came to the writing, I had to do it alone. I think I remember you sitting down and just being like, I hate this. I can't write this. I feel so anxious. Matt said he could hear me groaning from the other room late at night. It was like watching somebody who had like a paper due and then would like put it off until the deadline. Dear Terry, I've arrived back home from tonight's walk. It was 45 minutes. Temperature was 62 degrees. I ventured out with Matt again. Like, I understand the fear and intimidation of, like, I'm going to pale in comparison to this person. And not only will they judge me, other people will judge me, and they'll all think I'm stupid. The most dramatic part of the walk was, oddly, when a pickup truck drove past us. In my letters, I was struggling to emulate Terry and be more poetic, hoping it would bring me closer to her way of being. Tonight, we drove to a new location, a large open field, We were greeted by a long silver cloud stretched across the sky. My white converse seemed to be glowing in the light. But when my lines weren't so poetic, I relied on the facts of our walk. And I thought maybe the art of observation could be a path to God. As we kept walking down the path, I saw a glowing dot out of the corner of my eye. What is that? Are those like little gems? As we kept walking, I saw another one. Is it quartz or something? What is that? No, they're bugs. Oh, they're little light bugs? Maybe you know what this bug is. Does it light up over and over or just once? Oh my gosh, I just saw a huge shooting star. Oh, really? Yes! Wow. If I could, I would love to make a radio piece filled with the sound of people seeing shooting stars. From the beginning of the piece to the end, that's all you hear. It might take a lifetime to collect all the all the sounds of people hearing these stars. Some questions for you. How close are you to the fires? Can you see them? What was your belief in God as a child? Do you know what these glowing bugs are? Thanks for your letters. Your fellow Nightwalker, 
Bianca. Dearest Bianca, I'm writing this letter inside tonight because my cats are impatient when I'm outside. Fireflies. Oh, Bianca, if there is magic in the world, it surely resides in their soft bodies filled with luminescence, with the sole purpose of seducing a mate or prey. Also called glowworms, lightning bugs, they are actually beetles with over 2,000 described species, all members of the family Lampyridae in the order Coleoptera. On my walk tonight, it was 90 degrees, smoky, dreamlike. Saturn and Jupiter appeared through the haze like a pair of eyes, one open, the other squinting. Polaris is the tip of his tail. As I listened to Terry's letter, my counsel hovered over me. What is Terry getting out of this? While there were some nice moments on the walk, they were starting to doubt that we would reach new spiritual heights in just two weeks. What exactly do we think we're going to find? This seems a little new agey and weird. The night is dangerous. I don't like her going out there in the dark. I admired Terry's confidence about our walks, but she seemed special, almost like a divine being herself. The idea that I could have the kind of relationship with nature that she had, one where it functioned like a real companion, seemed slightly absurd. On some level, I still clung to my old religion of skepticism that I inherited from my grandfather. Test, test, test. So say what your name is. Now why should I say that? You're a great interviewer. He's 94 now. And when I told him that I was going on night walks, looking for God, he responded this way. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Why is it ridiculous? Because you don't, you won't find anything. I, I, can't, I can't believe in God. I simply can't. I fear the same is true for me. Yeah, you, you are too intelligent to find God. <laughs> Prior to my desperate search for meaning, my skepticism had always been good to me. It was a shield that protected me from becoming the kind of person who posted on social media about things like rage workshops, uncoupling, positive transformation, astrology reading, setting intentions, dance church, inner union, ecstatic dance, balancing the feminine and masculine. Terry's earnest tone, to me, could represent a dangerous lack of critical thought and self-awareness. So I finally got up the courage to press her on it a little. You said I was brutally earnest. Earnest is defined as an adjective resulting from or showing sincere and intense conviction. I think that's true. You know, you hear the word earnest and you think, oh my God, they have no sense of humor. But I'd never really looked up what earnest meant. But it is undercut by a humor, wicked, much of the time and self-doubt much of the time. I thought this was a pretty good answer. I appreciated that she acknowledged her own insecurities. And I knew, on some level, that the project wouldn't work unless I forced myself, for a period of time, to choose belief over doubt. 
We vote in favor of continuing to follow Terry. Meeting adjourned. So I opened myself up to her weirdness. If I told you I had seen an alien, you might stop writing to meet Bianca, so I won't. But I do believe they are green. And I found that she surprised me, even delighted me. Pop-Tarts are their own food group. Strawberry and blueberry are my favorite, and the people's pastries. By the third letter, I was falling into the rhythm of her tone, earnest or otherwise. And I was starting to see a real person on the other side. Tonight, we had lemon linguine. Brooke put Parmesan cheese on mine, and I didn't want any. We got into a really stupid fight. This is a PSSS. I'm just about to get in the tub, which is my holy place. Um, But I wanted to let you know that when I started walking, my dress was on backwards. (laughs) By the fourth letter, we were comparing notes on our childhoods. Lemon jello mold. Dissolve one package lemon jello. One cup hot pineapple juice. Add one so cup this was a standard variation, Bianca, on a theme of jello, what every Mormon household had for dinner, I promise you. I want you to know my origins. So here's my question for you, dear Bianca. Where is home? What are your origins? And what was the sweet spot of color that your mother set at your table? Your question about home will take longer to answer. I'm from Seattle. I remember feeling cold a lot. And this is the sound of my childhood, August crickets. My mother is Slovak, and my favorite thing she cooked was polizinki, which is the Slovak word for crepe. Sometimes we were my brothers and I would stand outside at dusk and rub two copper pennies together. It would bring the bats in and closer, and we felt like we were communicating with them through our own secret codes. My fears in a general order, throwing up, rats, mice, my dad dying, running out of money, not having children, not having a partner, loneliness, cancer, Lyme disease, MS. You know, I think I am afraid most of the time. I'm afraid when I write. I'm afraid when I speak. I'm afraid that people I love are going to die from this invisible virus. We're going back up to Salt Lake over the weekend to see my father. He's afraid that the life he has left will be spent cloistered in the midst of a pandemic, isolated from family, especially his granddaughters and great-grandchildren. With each letter, I was circling my way toward the heart of the issue, my main interest, the way she became a true believer of her own bespoke religion. So I began asking her about the Mormon household where she grew up and how she initially conceived of God. You asked me about my belief in God as a child. What I do remember and still possess is an incapacitating sense of ritual. I believed that if I didn't do certain things, other things would happen. My devotion to God had something to do with cause and effect. For example, when we would go to the beach in California for summer vacation, I had to be the last one in the car. And when no one was looking, I would walk down to the surf and place my hands in the water and make secret signs. I would nod my head to the horizon, say my prayers, turn and walk back to where my family was loading the car. Somehow, 
My parents, especially my mother, knew not to disturb me. It never occurred to me this might be magical thinking. I only knew and trusted that I had an acute respect for something larger than myself. That sense has never left me, although my belief in an anthropomorphic God has. But I learned there was a darker side to the story of her faith. As a kid, she grew up near a nuclear testing site where her family was exposed to severe radiation. So many women in her family had breast cancer and mastectomies that Terry called them the clan of one-breasted women. In the end, nine of her family members were diagnosed with cancer and seven died. So I wondered about this connection between death and faith, between tragedy and feeling connected to God. Even in my darkest moments, Bianca, I don't want to look away. I want to feel the full register and range of the world we are living in. Our night walks are about taking the time, affording to look. It seemed to me that Terry's relationship with nature was deeply linked to the grief and tragedy she had experienced. After she left the church, nature became its own sanctuary, and night walking a kind of ritual. By walking at night, she had a place for acknowledging darkness, confronting the past, while still moving forward. I lost my brother to suicide two years ago. What I have found in the wake of his death is a grievable life. He walks with me every night. This evening, I chose to walk in twilight around eight o'clock. I love this crepuscular hour. I'm walking with my normal pace, which is slow. Call it my desert saunter. And now, Terry had come out the other side. She could articulate what she believed in. I believe in Earth. I believe in nature. I believe in a night sky of stars. And I believe in the seductive power of fireflies and the mysterious power that brings people together, like you and me. Walking at night, sharing letters, trusting the unknown. Okay, off we go. Matt convinced me to take a drink out with me. Should we go left today? Day five. The moon is 10% full. I wonder when the moon rises. The moon rises at 8.54 a.m. and sets at 9.35 p.m. Okay, so it's pretty cloudy tonight. Oh, um, yeah, it is. Well, we could go on, like, a hiking trail. Well, I will say this is terrifying going to the left. By this point, Terry and I were building a world together. And that world slowly grew to include the people we were living with. Her husband, Brooke, and my roommate, Matt. It is so hot. Brooke has taken off his shirt. I've taken off mine as well. He waits for me and laughs. It is now dark. The giddiness of the early walks had worn off and we were quieter tonight, walking sometimes in silence. I paid particular attention to the Little Dipper this evening. Polaris is the tip. We planned to swim under the stars later, which Matt said might cause him to start weeping. Night walk is going into the water. Into Lake Willoughby. We can see 
the reflection of the Big Dipper in the lake. Yeah, it's really cool. That's the Big Dipper, right? I want you to hear Brooke. Hello, it's so nice to meet all of you. I can't wait every day to hear the dialogue that goes on between you. Update from after the night swim. Matt did not weep. (laughs) Even if Matt didn't cry, I heard his laughter. The word happy seemed right. With appreciation and admiration, Bianca. With affection, Terry. To be continued, Bianca. All my love. Onward. Terry. Bianca. At this point, I was moved by the genuine love that Terry was transmitting to me, a person she had never actually met. There was something about that unconditional love that felt religious. And combined with the letters, it couldn't help but lift me up. My daily tasks felt less banal, and I was buoyed by a great secret. In my mind, I existed on two planes, both the mundane muggle world and the realm of the letters. This holy place, I imagined, was where a purer, more distilled version of ourselves communed. But then, as soon as I felt the magic of the letters, everything would crash down. Right now I have no home, no romantic relationship. I'm floating. I need constant reminders that I exist. My secret epistolary realm didn't solve all my earthly problems. Slack messages still had to be answered. Dinner still had to be cooked. I'm challenging myself to eat everything in the fridge and not buy new things. All while my roommate ran through his 300th rehearsal of the same song. Even if Terry's letters helped, I was already dreading the day they would end. And I would be alone again. What's the name of that one? Sunflower River Blues by John Fahey. Played relatively poorly. Day... Eight. All right, getting off the road. Entering into new territory. The moon rising at 1.59 p.m. and setting at 11.36 p.m. The moon is 52% full. I just love these open landscapes. Dear Terry, we had a new guest on our walk, a Vermonter named Gideon who lives two hours away. Look at those cute little clouds, babies. Yeah, just above it. After months of celibacy, somehow... The magic of the night walks delivered me a lover. He was the cousin of a friend of mine. And after some texting, we agreed to meet on top of a mountain the night of a meteor shower. But as my Toyota Corolla chugged up the steep incline to the peak, one of the most frightening rainstorms I've ever experienced descended upon me. The rain beat against the roof of the car so loudly I could barely hear the music that was playing, which I recall was the musical Godspell. I made it to the top and was waiting in the parking lot when the rain miraculously stopped. Finally, a red Prius pulled up and out stepped a figure I couldn't see very well in the moonlight. I could tell he was slight and his silhouette of hair looked like a palm tree. We hugged in the dark, and then we walked into a field, laid down on a tarp, and talked for five hours. He told me a lot of stories, mostly about his family. The one I love most was about his grandmother, 
who, when she was in her 50s, fell in love with a 25-year-old man from Japan named Hiroshi. She was so gorgeous that when they went down the sidewalks in New York City, he loved to trail behind her and watch other men stare. They were together, very happily, for seven years, until he was pressured by his family to move back to Japan, get married, and have kids. But they stayed in touch until the end of her life and called each other soulmates. As Gideon was finishing this story, we saw a giant shooting star that looked like a burning ball of fire splitting the sky in half. And then we started cuddling and making out in the dark. In my letter, I relayed this to Terry in the most melodramatic terms possible. Laying down in the pitch black on a tarp, we clung to each other like life rafts in the dark sea of singleness in a long pandemic. When we touched, we became teenagers again, the miracle of a first kiss, just when you thought it would never happen for you. The next night, on day nine, Gideon drove over to our house to join Matt and I on a night walk. I'm still, I'm, I'm working, I'm still working on it. <laughs> to my relief, Matt and Gideon got along, and they even saw a shooting star together. Oh! That was good. That was good yeah. Gideon taught us about the plants he knew. This is mugwort. Yeah, it's good for so many ailments. And, it, and Matt showed us a dolphin constellation. Oh my god. Yeah, those binoculars are really powerful. When we got home, we played some music together. Do we like it better with or without banjo? Banjo's great. Okay. I was just learning banjo and strummed along the best I could. Dearest Bianca, your meeting of Gideon on a mountain sounds wonderfully romantic, especially in a pandemic. The touch, a first kiss, two bodies together, finally. I can't say I know an empty bed for nine months, Bianca, but I do know a bed without Brooke for weeks, months at a time, when I'm teaching in Cambridge at the Divinity School and he's chosen to be home in the desert. It's hard, and I miss him. But our marriage has been After opening up to Terry about my romance with Gideon, I felt emboldened to ask more about her marriage. In addition to God, the question of marriage, or faith in a marriage, was another obsession of mine. Of course I fantasized about a decades-long partnership, but I wasn't sure I really believed in it. My grandmother was alone, and after my parents' divorce, so was my mom. I wanted to break the cycle, but on a visceral level, I had a premonition that a long-term marriage just wasn't in the cards for me. What wisdom I did have had come from lots of different relationships. There was something I wasn't sure I trusted about staying with your first love. And so I wondered, does being with Brooke since you were 19 mean that you've never experienced a romantic heartbreak? That you've traveled decades avoiding this experience? Bianca, my heart has been broken many, many times. Marriage is not a straitjacket that prohibits you from loving other people. Not if the marriage is going to last 45 years. 
but I've always loved Brooke for the duration. How to explain this? It's like the Colorado River. There's the main channel. He's my main channel. Of course, there are side canyons and eddies, oxbows and pour-offs where the rapids are. That's extremely exciting. But that ends, and the main channel continues. That's where the steady flow is. That's where the heart of the river lies. And that's where I want to be, where I always return to Brooke. Hearts break in all sorts of ways, by all sorts of things. That's another way I know I exist. What scares me more than having my heart broken is having my heart close. Around this time, I read one of Terry's poems called Desert Quartet. In it, she describes crawling over the curves of a steaming rock, a desire to merge while swimming in water, and the feeling of spreading her legs open before a fire. And she started telling me more about this in the letters. I believe in the mysteries before us and the divine imagination that sings. I believe I have a pansexual relationship with nature. I don't share this with many. You can understand why. Maybe our gendered identity need not be restricted to our own species. This is a question I'm asking myself. I am in love with the natural world. I dream of night walking in the Yellowstone with a bison in the heat of the rut mid-September and falling asleep on one of his massive shoulders. I'll stop there. Again, I don't share this with many. I don't even say pansexual. You can understand why. But this is my source. A click beetle flashes light through its own body. There are small gods among us. I am devoted to all of them. As soon as Gideon left, I desperately wanted to see him again. So a few days later, I went on a hike near his cabin and I gave him a call and I was kind of casually like, hey, I'm going to be in your area. Uh, Do you want to hang out? And he was like, well, I'm actually feeling kind of sick. My symptoms could be COVID. And I'm not proud of this, but I was like, that's totally fine. I'll just hang out with you and watch you be sick. So I started drafting letter 10 in the morning from his house. Dear Terry, I'm sitting on a bench in the sun. There go the, chimes. the wind chimes are chiming near me. <laughs> Gideon is picking cherry tomatoes from the garden and occasionally wandering over to put one in my mouth. This morning we stayed in bed until noon and I read to Gideon from my book about snails. Oh, we learned that snails can And then we just had the most perfect afternoon. The older one first, the younger one in. Oh, the dreadful wind and rain. He gave me a head massage, scratched my back. We smoked weed that his dad had grown in his garden (laughs) and laid in the grass and listened to music. He was looking up at these puffy white clouds. Beautiful wind, beautiful sun. And I just remember looking at the 
blades of grass in the wind. I think I figured out a new theory of the universe. <laughs> and in that moment, this feeling of peace washed over me. Like for a second, everything might be okay. It's been a wonderful afternoon. I was so happy that my council, Terry's and Gideon's, were connected. Earthly, Earthly and celestial bodies, celestial together. I could feel Terry's spiritual ecstasy. Shooting stars beyond gasp. The sound you're obsessed with when a person sees one streak across the sky. Glory and smoke from meteors. It's all connected. I just, I, I can't even contain myself. Dusk fell, and then night. Gideon still felt sick, so I went out night walking alone. I was still in the glow of my time with Gideon, but out alone on the road, I had to ask myself whether I'd achieved something spiritual, or if it was simply the endorphins and weed mixing. Maybe romance was too easy, not something I could replicate on my own, and a distraction from my quest. Lightning flashed across the sky, but there was no sound of thunder. Mist in every direction. The sky changed so quickly. The stars were covered and then exposed. And as the moon got brighter, a cathedral of light spilled out between the trees. Okay, goodbye for now. This episode of Night Walking is supported by Pioneer Works, an artist and scientist-led nonprofit in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Pioneer Works aims to build community through the arts and sciences by offering interdisciplinary programming, residencies, education initiatives, and an online and print publication called Broadcast. Experience Pioneer Works on the second Sunday of every month for live music, food, and workshops in Red Hook. To learn more, visit pioneerworks.org.